Welcome to episode 155. Half the year gone. We plod and we plod and we plod. And plodding with me today on Zoom again, sorry for the poor sound quality, is the Don joining me from West Dublin. Yeah. So, any news to report? I mean, like, same shit, different day. Like this, I was going to say, Jesus, half the year gone, it's flown in, but it really fucking hasn't. Um, I'm dying to see Reading in the Years 2020. <laughs> so for overseas listeners, Reading in the Years is a cheesy Irish television program that kind of recounts a year with the music and all the news going back. So. Yeah, so they, they do, and I think they initially had done it, like it started at the start of War II, so like in the 60s, and they stopped in the 90s. And then like everyone kind of likes it. It's a bit of a guilty pleasure because you look, you look through and there's some years where you were born and, and you're like, oh, I remember that. That's weird. And they've got all the Irish music on at the same time. It's kind of a feel good. It's a nice little look back. But they're going to need, an, it's, it's only 30 minutes long. They're going to need an entire fucking box set for 2020. <laughs> <laughs> this will be one to sit down with the grandkids. Well, yes and no, because like there hasn't been a lot of, you know, music and art and all that stuff being done. So it's kind of... But there has, but there's like the shit stuff. So, I mean, for us, just kind of getting through our days, and most people, it's quite monotonous. There hasn't been a whole lot going on. The news up until things started kicking off in America, the news all over the world was literally the same shit for day in, day out by the coronavirus. So, like, to live through it, incredibly monotonous. But at the same time, when we look back at all the stuff that has happened... Like, can you imagine being a history teacher and having to teach some kid that's not born yet what happened in 2020? And I'm kind of, like, I'm really waiting for, like, a space invasion for <laughs> September. <laughs> like, what hasn't happened? God will appear. <laughs> oh, oh, did you see? There's a guy, uh, now where is he from? I think New Orleans? Um, but he's uh, a voodoo person and he has been arrested <laughs> because... He was, I think, online. He he was buying locks of Donald Trump's hair, and they've actually done it by weight. He has a certain amount of, like, eight grams of hair. Now, the Seppos don't ever, they will do anything. They will measure in absolutely anything but imperial measurement, except when it's nine millimeter guns. But I'm not sure that they, <laughs> they got that bit. That's the irony of it. But yeah, so he was uh, procuring locks of Donald Trump's hair in order to... Um, Great a voodoo doll. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and there's like a mugshot of him, and like so he's, but like that's religious persecution, kind of bit of a. Where was he getting the hair from? I don't know. It was the weirdest thing. Um, Donald Trump's I, tremendous hairdresser, putting some in a bag after she's finished cutting his boot. But like, if you, if if you worked for him, right, regardless of where how you feel politically, can you imagine having to babysit that child? And every day he said, like, even even if you're a Republican, even if you you align politically, having to work. For that fucking brat, day in day out, what has he fucking said now? What I'm have just he picturing, done now? I'm just picturing Donald Trump's valet getting kind of nobbled to do this, and he starts tiptoeing into Donald Trump's bedroom in the middle of the night. Donald Trump is there on his back snoring, and Melania is asleep, and he has to tiptoe over with the scissors and just cut a little bit of his hair, and then just as he cuts it, Donald Trump starts, and then he steals out of the bedroom. There's a creaky floorboards just by the door. Goes Donald Trump, seventy-four-year-old man, seventy-seven, whatever age he is, and then he goes out and he gets a little baggie and puts the lock of hair in and sends it to the voodoo guy for like five grand, and he gets this little sort of voodoo doll, 
and you know, like those little troll things, and he just puts the blonde hair yes. up and yeah. it's pins in them. Because Donald Trump this week was found wanting coming down a ramp. Did you read that? Where he was, he was on some sort of um, a U.S. Navy ship, and then he got all freaked out because they all said, "Oh, he looked a bit unsteady in his feet." I was not unsteady on my feet. It was snippy and wet, and I, I'm very able and capable of walking. Thank you very much. And I stop it. Doesn't he have bone spurs? Apparently, yeah. <laughs> We the last episode we did all about Donald Trump and it's got worse. You know, we're watching CNN every fake news night, and I just I, watching CNN. It's very hard to know why it's called fake news because it's like a camera on a street with people marching against sort of racism and Donald Trump, and that's tremendous yeah. crowds, many, many, many crowds. Yeah. Well, that being said, it is it's propaganda, no matter what. Like the, the, the thing with the US is like I mean they're certainly I prefer to watch CNN than fucking Fox News but it, it's just so polarized and it's you know so no it's certainly not fake the idea of fake news well like Huns are on the street I can see it I'm sat here watching it on the TV they haven't planted those unless you're going to go full on David Icke they're all actors mm. no it's actually happening well, there is the thing of propaganda if you're showing only one particular side now I'm not really sure which angle your people want them to show that doesn't involve protesters being shot in the face with rubber bullets. But I, I do get the idea. So I don't particularly, I'm not, I'm not fighting his corner, but yeah, I do get that it can be all true, but it can be imbalanced. I'm just not really sure where you find the balance of this shit. We had no deaths in Ireland today for only the second time and only 18 new cases. So it seems to be in abation, if, if that is such a word. Um, although they are forecasting a, a, a new hammer, but uh, shops are all opened. Your favorite shop? Penny's Hun. I still haven't been there. I'm looking forward to it. So Penny's is like the Irish national treasure when it comes to shopping for clothes, etc. And uh, they opened on, on Monday last time. There was a huge queue outside the... It was, it was Friday. So Friday, uh, Penny's... Right. Essentially, people think that religion has gone out of Ireland, and it's not. It's just that our temple is pennies. You have assimilated, and you're going to fit in here if you've learned that what, as soon as someone compliments something you're wearing, tanks on pennies, and you say it was five euro, it was ten euro, whatever it was. And other people don't get this because they go, why are you running it down? It's lovely. You shouldn't make this living. We're like, oh, no, we're proud. It is an institution. It is the reason that we don't have as much far-right populism going on in this country because everybody just goes into pennies, gets himself a new thing of jammies. You get new PJs, you get yourself bits and bobs, cheap makeup, a few jellies, you go home, you light your new candle and you just calm the fuck down. <laughs> and I think it's I think it's really affected how people, I mean, I know lockdown in general has been difficult, but like I see people online and the level of their bullshit has really gone up and I kind of think that one needs a good ride and she also needs a shopping trip to pennies. And she will calm down. So I do worry. I, I, I worry about injuries uh, that people will sustain from the initial going in. So I've had to avoid it. I desperately need to go to Penny's because the children very rudely grew over lockdown. So I have like loads of shit I need to get. Union and Anonia. Union and Anonia. Fucking Thumbelina and her brother just suddenly decided to take a growth spurt when all the shops are closed. So I'm dying to go to Penny's now. So the Don's daughter, Anya... Uh, in real life, she launched her own podcast. She's a nine-year-old, and she just got a commendation from the Irish Philosophical Society or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a Young Philosopher Award competition. She was way too young to enter it, but she's entered stuff in anyway. So they want to put her 
one of our episodes on optimistic nihilism and Nietzsche in the lockdown. They want to put that episode on their UCD website and their Philosophy of Ireland website. I don't know. You can yeah. hear her podcast. Um, it's called Well Peanut from the Gallery and it's on Facebook. So yeah, we're a bit flat this week. I, I not a lot. I mean, oh well. I mean, I, I'm I'm surprised it's taken you this long. But like, what's happened this week is that in some sort of weird flex, the right got Harry Potter. Oh yeah. Always, so J.K. Rowling, the writer, the author of Harry Potter. It's about this special breed of human that is magical and special and genetically is gifted. And they go to this really posh boarding school and then they all end up being civil servants for the rest of their life at the end. Now, there's a real problem in that there are no people of colour in her books. There are things like her goblins that she... So, like, long story short, right? She's a bit of a cunt. Like, she's not a nice girl. But she's also a very well-known turf. So aside from her weird anti-Semitism hints that go through the books or there's all of that kind of shit but uh she's also been known for coming out with some turfy stuff turf being trans exclusionary radical feminist so she's on that bandwagon of being concerned for cis women or women saying some unsavory things now i will also point out she has another uh set of books that not everybody knows about they're crime books that she's written also meant to be shite but she writes them under a pseudonym she has this bullshit story of it's made up from two two names that I liked as a child. She has named her pseudonym for her crime books are named after a doctor. Robert Galbraith is the pseudonym that she uses yeah. instead of her own name. A very famous doctor in America who tortured gay people with electroconvulsive therapy to cure them. Now, the fact that she also happens to make it her fucking business to get involved in all the trans, anti-trans, whatever... I mean, she clearly has a bee in her bonnet about it, but she just also happened to stumble across this pseudonym that shares the name of this very famous doctor. So, like, whilst I think the conversation has become extremely polarised and I have an issue with the thought policing, I also think, look, she's setting out to be a bitch. She's asking for it, so my sympathy is limited. Yeah, I read her, uh, I read this sort of essay that she wrote and I was like, oh, yeah, fair enough. I, I'm kind of just in this mode right now where I'm just backing away from it all. I've always I've brought it up many times on podcasts before. and People don't want to touch it. My main worry has always been the comedy side of things where you we're moving towards a society where you're just not allowed to say anything that might offend anybody. Mm. And if you do step above the parapet, your head gets blown off by social media bombardments. To the point where I think people are just nervous. I mean, we just listened to Sam Harris's new show today, which he just, in typical Sam Harris style, just grabs the nettle and, you know, I don't agree with everything Sam Harris says, but he's, he's a brave no. bastard to some of the things he's saying. And he does make the point that we only get through this with conversation and allowing people to have different points of view. And the left, or the far left, are causing, you know, just as much trouble as the white supremacists on the far right and yeah you know also so, possibly opening a path up for trump to be re-elected absolutely so i mean aside from anything else even aside from the fact that it irritates me even just from the point of view of if you want the world to be a better place and if you think if your views are somewhat progressive and you want equality and all of that kind of stuff the best way you can avoid that happening is by going regressive left going full tilt squealing how dare you? I'm triggered. You hurt my feelings. Anybody, if, you, if you're if you not entirely with us, if you have any 
questions whatsoever, then you're not with us, then you're against us, then you're a Nazi, then you're a bad person. Now, even if you think that that's morally correct, the problem is in any group of people, in any country, you've got a certain segment of people that are knuckle-dragging racist homophobes and that's they're quite happy with that. You told them that, they'll say, fine, yes, that's what we want. And then you'll have certain people who are extremely progressive and left-wing and they're really pro-gay rights and all that kind of jazz and anti-racism. You're not going to change either mind, the mindset of either set of people, but you can actually alienate and ostracize anybody in the middle or any way that anyone that's somewhat progressive but maybe not progressive enough for your taste. Now, it's okay to disagree with them and be bothered by some of their views, but when we get to the point of it being as vitriolic as it is now that people are afraid to speak, what you're actually doing is the whole cohort of people that wouldn't like to be labeled as racist or turfy or so they want to be progressive and you're literally just saying if you're not all the way there with me if you if, if you aren't a hundred percent in my mm. camp then you're a nazi so eventually people go either won't either won't talk about it at all or will quietly go off oh, for fuck's sake it's gone too far now so congratulations no, i mean we're going down a road of identity politics on yeah. speed and it is not going to end well because i know it's, it's got a massive division you know as martin luther mm. king jr and people said the vision is for a day where color of skin doesn't matter and yeah, that we're a long way away from now. we're a long way away from that but you can't say that now exactly and yeah uh, you know I, Look, I, I think just despair, it, to be honest. intent is important so like i mean i sense sense position i say you can't say that now like i'm sitting here we're two white people so i don't want to you know speak over like if 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 black people are saying, look, this is not a helpful conversation, I'd kind of go, well, maybe shut the, shut the fuck up and listen because, you know, I might have a bit of learning to do. When it comes to race issues, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to all of these social issues, even the kind of what we just said, oh, you can't say that now. And I know I know that All Lives Matter is generally a facetious thing that was designed to discredit the Black Lives Matter movement. I get yeah. that. But I also get that on the internet now, 90% of people that are putting up All Lives Matter are too thick to know better. They're not actually being mm. racist. So if you continue to hammer at people rather than to open a discussion, then you're kind of not turning them off. You're turning them off doing the right thing. Now, I know why All Lives Matter is hurtful. I don't like All Lives Matter. I would say to your friend, yeah, come here, just so you know, you look like a right-wing cock. You look like one of these fucking racist, alt-right pricks. So I know you don't mean that, but just FYI, that particular phrase has been co-opted. It's up to yourself. When people are well-intended and are trying to make a progressive point, if you fucking scream every time they get something wrong, you're literally just shaming people out of the arena and then they're going to go into the other one and then you whinge that the world isn't a nicer place. Yeah, no, I mean, this is, I mean, I, I lived in America from the entire, I basically was there for the entire Obama presidency. And like the racism was just everywhere. And I lived in Boston I went to Georgia, an awful lot of Georgia, full of races, a lot of them Irish Americans. Oh God, the worst um, kind. Dallas, I lived in Texas, very racist. E. Then you start going, well, how do we fix it? And it's it. There's all these people in America who are kind of middle class who just are terrified of speaking truth to power, so they don't engage with the whole Donald Trump bullshit. They're just kind of hoping, I think, that he doesn't get elected. There's no activism at this certain level. And so what we're mm -hmm. seeing, I think, now in America was, is a perfect storm where so many people were out of work, so many young people were out of work that they took to the streets every night for 16 nights. Barmen, waitstaff, stewards, people who worked in, in office buildings, they were all available to march. Now, of course, we can talk about the marching and the COVID 
which is running rampant throughout America at the moment still, even though they're all pretending it's gone away. And that's been good. I mean, it, it, I'm finally seeing an aggravation that I'm hoping will spill over into, into Trump not getting elected again. The best thing I think that can happen for race relations in America is Joe Biden gets elected president, you know? Yeah, like of all the shit that he has pulled. And if this is the straw that breaks the camel's back, that's actually what quite a nice thing for the entire country. But well, he's saying the economy is going to be point. coming back, and I can't see that because America's like a the Titanic, and it's hit an iceberg, and it's pretending everything's fine, and I just think it's going to get worse. And I, you know, I'm not saying Joe Biden's great, but as I said before in a podcast, put a monkey in a suit and stick a Democratic badge in him, vote for the monkey. You know, I mean, it's like it doesn't matter how thick, sleepy, or senile Joe Biden is; he's better than Donald Trump for the world. Yeah. Anyway, we'll keep it short and sweet this week. Those of you who are regular listeners know that the Don is here today to continue her top 20 countdown. And this week she is entering the top 10. And as ever, the Don asks me three questions to see if I can guess or remember the guest with whom I spoke. So, clue one. Well, this is segued quite nicely in. So, one, we're living through capitalism with the handbrake off. Next. In the early days of Trump, I was expecting the worst. I don't know if he's gotten saner or I've got used to him or a combination of the two, but I'm a little bit more relaxed. Mm. No. And finally, you asked, are you positive about the future? The answer was, some days yes, some days no. Is it a man? It is. Is it... Is he English? Yes. Is he Giles? Nope. Hmm. Well, then I have been beaten. Who is it? It is Richard Watson, the futurist, who you spoke oh. to ago. And we've just been talking about this now, so I thought it'd be really interesting to have yeah. a look back on the futurist and the things that he had predicted. And Richard Watson, Watson's a great guy. I met him probably in the late 90s, early 2000s in Sydney. He's, he is a futurist, so he basically goes... He writes books and he does newsletters and he goes around speaking at conferences uh, about what the future will bring. And uh, he's a great uh, raconteur and we always enjoy sitting down and having a bottle of wine. We did this in a cheese shop, which was very Monty Python-ish. So there's a little bit of background, cheese shop ambience. Have you got any cheese at all? Uh, what did you like about the interview? Um, I thought it was, it was one of the really cool and interesting ones anyway. Um, I remember you showed me that map thing he's talking about. Yes, yeah. mind blowing, <laughs> fucking mind blowing. Link to that on the uh, on the blurb. Yeah, 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 you showed it's brilliant. Today, I'm a bit bored, fed up. It kind of feels like the world is starting back up again, and um, we've lived through this really strange time. So I was like, I really want to go back and hear what he had to say, and then you pick out the little nuggets like that that are. That I remember one of the things he said was he decided people. to stop reading newspapers every day and just read. Yeah. Read them at the end of the week and throw most of them away because the news is moving so fast that you know there's yeah like if it's important it'll get you so there there is that thing and I'd be I'd be so interested like when I'm hearing that conversation now of course I know what I know and he doesn't two years ago know what's going to happen but it's still a really interesting conversation and I so want to hear the next ten minutes of the conversation now with hindsight because lots of the stuff he's talking about the not reading the news the a lot of this stuff. It has become the norm of how people discuss and work out life at the moment. There are weird new normal. I'd love to know what 
Richard two years I must ago. Let's see if I can contact him and see if he can yeah. come on the show. I mean, I'd love to hear his perspective on all this uh, this mess the world is in right now. Okay, this is uh, number 10 in the Don's Top 20 Countdown. The venerable, intelligent, smart, witty Richard Watson. Welcome to another pint with Shawnee B. This is another first. We're in a cheese shop in London, and it's very smelly of cheese. But it is quiet, and I'm here with a very old friend of mine from... He's not, he's not old, but we mm. know each other for a long time. Uh, he is a futurist, um, first futurist on the show. Richard Watson, welcome. Thank you very much. We've been trying to do this for about two years. We have indeed, various places. So anyway, what's the future hold? <laughs> I don't really care anymore. <laughs> A bit over it to be honest. Richard's been running a, a couple of brands called Now and Next Brain Mail, and uh, there was Brain Fruit a very long time fruit, ago. Yeah. Oh, that's, I was that's with a you when you were the that. We were working together on that. And what he does is, on one level, he gathers all the latest new thinking and ideas from around the world and pockets it and packages it in a friendly, bite sized email stroke website. He also does speeches and talks around the world about what the future is going to bring for, from industry to society to culture, and he's an all-around bright egg. So, seriously, what's the future hold? I really don't care. <laughs> I'm trying to disengage from it. Are you positive honest. about the future? It's something I ask quite a oh, few. Oh, you know, I mean, some days yes, some days no. I mean, I'm, I'm generally pretty positive at the moment. I had a phase where I was just very pessimistic it was that sort of early days of trump yeah and i was expecting the worst but you and most of the world and he seems to have um i don't know whether he's sort of got a little saner or i've just got used to him or combination of the two but i'm a, I'm a little bit more relaxed i've also sort of taken a so rather, give, give, give people who are still petrified about the whole trump thing some reason to be more okay relaxed. well what sort of cheered me up a bit <laughs> this is a slightly weird one what cheered me up it was, it's not the end of the world. And if it is, there's nothing you or I can do about it. So you right. might as well relax. And the problem with sort of constantly having your head in the future and trying to cover every single thing on multiple scenario levels is it does slightly do your head in. I mean, I started trying to write a book about thinking and it occurred to me that perhaps the end chapter should be something around, can you think too much? And I think actually you can at some point. I, yeah. I think you can go slightly crazy the, the other problem is historically what I've done is is read a lot um, and try and sort of digest it and cross fertilize it and there's just too much stuff to read now there's just too much information and I've started quite seriously disengaging I mean one trick I've started to do which works quite well is I've started to read newspapers backwards in the sense that sports page first I no, no 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 not that not that I will buy I mean first of all the dailies I've given up with they're just full of nothing weekend editions of, of major newspapers are quite analytical and that's good people yeah. have the time but I like reading them a month past their read by date and you can skim it real fast when the news is old news and yeah. you can just put it together it's quite zen like you can put things together in a much sort of calmer way and that, that seems to work but I, I also find that if something really important happens the news tends to find me or somebody will say have you seen this have you seen that or I'll just bump into information and I, I swear to God 95% of what's on television what's in the news what's on the radio is of no consequence so I've, I've just taken the view to just get the hell out of there to some extent I mean I've switched slightly to sort of new, uh, away from newspapers to periodicals on paper I find reading things on paper makes me calmer books up to a point if you can find the time magazines um, so my reading list has shrunk fantastically over about the last sort of six nine months yeah i'm the same i'm finding it really hard to read books i don't know why because i've got lots more time in my hands the idea that we would give up following the news some people swear by this in fact a lot of people who 
since Trump have actually employed this. They don't read the news or follow it as little of it as they can on probably the base of what you just said. That it's, I mean, everything is kind of binary and the idea that we're all going to hell in the handbasket. No, I disagree with that. It's not binary at all. That's that's the still classic mistake, I think. You know, okay. we, we think that every car is going to be self-driving and actually I don't think that's going to happen. We're going to get these sort of blurry sort of grey areas where there's a bit of this and a bit of that you know the new technology takes off but the old stuff refuses to go away you know look at look at music look at books you know you've got both side by side to some extent when people were, were predicting the extinction of, of one because of the, of the other I mean the other problem with the future at the moment is it's well first of all the future is literally now you know I'll, I'll dream something up and you know within a second I'll go online and find out that somebody's already that's already happened um, you know, I've written books where you come up with some fairly extreme ideas about something and then the whole world starts talking about it before you've even finished the book, so you have to take it out <laughs> of the book. The terrorist hijacking self-driving vehicles was, was the example there, but I, I then moved on to people bringing down airplanes with smartphones and then that, that started getting talked about way before me finishing the book. And, you know, I have a good friend who writes real books, um, Labby Tidal, he writes science fiction books, and we had a kind of interesting conversation once about, you know, what does the word future mean? If, and he writes several hundred years into the future, bear in mind. I'm, I'm just right. concerned with 20 he's or 30. Like H.G. Wells in his time. He's, he's a bit like that. And he was saying, well, the future is when things start to get really weird. And I, I sort of struggle to work out how they could be weirder than they already are. I mean, you know, one of the things about writing books about the future or talking about it is you need to be fairly provocative. You've got to come up with some ideas that most people disagree with or have never thought of. And that's becoming increasingly difficult these days. I mean, you know, Trump is the president of the United States. It's, it's yeah. a bit like living in an episode of South Park. Yeah. So it's incredibly hard to come up with provocative thinking when there's all this provocation around us every day. We're also, over the last couple of months, getting murmurs about the fact that he's going to get four more years. What's your prediction on that? I think it's distinctly possible. I mean, <laughs> I did a trend map once of, of a couple of years ago, and um, at the bottom was a bunch of global risks, and it took about two years to do this map. And at one point, I, one of the global risks was decline of human intelligence, and underneath was Trump really is president. And before I finished the map, he was, so I had to take that off. And actually, Trump's getting a second term is, is distinctly possible. At the time, I was thinking, you know, maybe he's not that bad. You know, we, we're all sort of apoplectic, if that's the right word, about a glass of rosé, um, about Reagan not so long ago. So, you know, maybe he turns out okay. That's a surprise scenario. You never know. I think it's unlikely, but, I, I you know, I think he's a complete lunatic. But I think it is, in fact, it might be even better than it than evens that he, he gets a second term. That is a distinct possibility. Yeah, I think the things that have been mooted is, first of all, there's no obvious person emerging to take him on and that person should be coming out of the woodwork around about now which is you know close to two coming up I mean there two. is there is no alternative in the words of Margaret Thatcher he is the personification of a of a need and you can take Trump away and then something else will pop up and it's similar to some extent to Brexit I mean this, this is an aging demographic that feels increasingly disenfranchised and uncomfortable and it's their sort of reaction to it um, so yeah you take him away you get another version of him to some extent also the fact that the jobs are falling which people did not predict unemployment would fall as quickly as it has in the US people's pensions and shares because let's face it at the end of the day America is a greedy greedy country are being looked after and my worry is that it, the wider thing is just the whole spread of selfishness and yeah, the difficulty of looking after fellow man and the difficulty of sort of the, the, the you're fired element that he brings to the party, the identity politics, the bubbling over of racism again in a, in a way that was always there, but it's, it's being fomented. I mean, it's, 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 
a very extreme form of capitalism that he represents. And, and to some extent, what we're living through at the moment is, is, is capitalism with a handbrake off. You know, they used to be a stabilizing force in, in the sense of it was the sort of the, the West versus the East, it was the US versus Russia, and that's kind of collapsed now, and it, it's a complete free-for-all. I'd say you can do anything as long as it's not illegal, but actually you can even yeah. do stuff that's illegal too. Yeah. So, and I think that is creating a deep level of anxiety. It's like the bad guys are winning. There's also too much change going on for most people's liking, which makes people quite sort of nervous and flighty. And you're absolutely, you, you've nailed it. I mean, we, I mean, first of all, I think we need a, it sounds a bit sort of grandiose to say it, but we need a strategy for the human race this century in the light yeah. of things like AI. And the other thing I think we need is we, we need to move away from me back to we to some extent. I mean, that smacks of collectivism, which is a bad thing to some yeah. extent, but it yeah, is... This idea that we all, if we don't do capitalism, well, all we're left with is Marxism and that killed billions, which is true, but we don't... We don't look at the social democratic countries of Scandinavia where they seem to be doing it a lot better than... It's, it's completely self-absorbed. I mean, there's something in the papers, um, obviously not that I read them, um, a couple of days ago about, well, actually it might even be this morning, I heard about it somewhere, about there was a study that the loneliness at work, and you know, people are just, they're in there with their headphones on, they don't talk to people, they just email them even if they're six feet away. And that's all terribly efficient and convenient on one level, but if you spin that forward, you know, 30, 40 years, I just, I think you have, you know, the narcissism, the self-interest, the personalization turns into potentially well it's extreme loneliness yeah. on, on quite a lot of levels there are a lot of people that say you know we don't need other people you you can be a perfectly well-functioning human being dealing with everything virtually you know you're at home you never leave it you work from home everything you need is delivered from home you socialize virtually and it's it's to some extent a generational thing um but i, I think personally that's wrong i think at some level you would go completely mad if, if that's taken to an extreme you do these brilliant, um, you just referenced them, the, the future uh, maps, which look like a kind of a tube. It, uh, you've clearly got inspiration from the London tube map, but it, they're absolutely fantastic. I'll put a link to one in the blur of the podcast where you can just basically pick a theme and follow Richard's predictions into the future, which are, which are rabbit holes that you can just go down and they're, they're fantastic. Elucidate your views on, on, on the future of technology. You mentioned AI and stuff like that. People are terrified of the singularity of the robotic overlord. Well, I'm, again, I'm, I'm pretty pretty relaxed about that stuff. I've, I've, I've always thought that's a bit unlikely. I, I went to a really brilliant conference recently on, on AI and sci-fi with a bunch of really serious academics. And, and I mean, the robot thing is nonsense. We can completely disconnect and react um, not react, uh, relax about about that threat. It is it is not coming. There are there are some very clever robots designed to do very specific things. But this sort of idea of the sort of general marauding, transformery, Independence Day type you know, dystopia, I just don't think it's coming. On the basis that we can always just switch them off. On the basis that it's very difficult to create a... I mean, we've, we've not really progressed in 100 years on robots that can walk around and be generally useful. What we've got really good at is creating robots that can do one thing unbelievably well. Yeah. Now, the, the only exception to that, as far as I can see, is, is autonomous weapons um, that just do their own thing. They, they are a, a real threat. But I don't think the threat is robotic. I mean, there is a threat from robotics, but the bigger threat is, is sort of unseen automation. It's algorithms that are sort of taking the humanity out of the human race. That, that's the real threat. Um, in terms of general AI, similar. I mean, I, I, I don't foresee general artificial intelligence emerging anytime soon, although there are plenty of people saying it's imminent. I think very smart and narrow AI, absolutely, it's been with us for a while, actually. And even if we do get AGI, um, artificial general intelligence, the, the idea that it suddenly wakes up and becomes conscious is is ludicrous to my mind. It's just 
you know, we we can barely describe what human consciousness is, let alone replicate it. So I, I that's not something I'm worrying about. It I really is. The, 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 the other side of that coin, though, argue that it might not be human consciousness, but it might be. You know, there was a, there, I read somewhere that if you had the most powerful computer in the world and you were asking it to replicate a tomato. Right, so you, you, you put a tomato in front of it and it, it basically had to replicate that either by whatever screen printing or whatever, that it would uh, possibly blow up the world because it would look at every possibility to make a tomato and one of those possibilities would be blowing up the world. Oh, that didn't work. And so that we oh, have these, we have these, we have these robots that are designed to solve problems, but they also oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They can't I mean, work out the fact that the, no, blowing up the world is not an option. Please, thank you. I mean, you've got to be very careful what you specify with with artificial intelligence. I mean, there's a thing called the paperclip thing, paperclip something. If you ask a machine, a, a really intelligent machine, to maximise the production of paperclips, same same end result, it destroys the world because yeah. you know it'll it'll do anything, anything to maximise the production of paperclips. Yeah. So yeah, you. But it just needs one prick to get that wrong. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of, this is where it's optimism versus pessimism. I, think, I mean, short term, I think I'm a little bit pessimistic. There's a lot of things can and will go wrong. But longer term, I think we're sort of vaguely smart enough to sort of sort the problem out and see, see various things coming. New bases of normality, though, creeping stuff like climate, where we, we kind of know there's a problem. We do fuck all about it. For Interesting watching Al Gore's new movie. He's like slapping his head going, like, Maybe we could, but you know, even things are starting to happen there. The, the cost of the solar cell has come down, and companies can start seeing that they can make money from environmentally healthy, especially places like. I, I mean, first of all, we, we seem to be. I mean, we, we keep inventing new fears. We keep inventing new anxieties. I, I don't entirely know why. There's probably some sort of deeper thing going on there. I mean, what people forget is it's you know the future is not a linear extrapolation from present conditions. That's the classic mistake people make. You know, it's it's a system. It has feedback loops in it. I mean, we were hysterical about peak oil ten years ago, actually ten years ago. And what people failed to see was a how much oil is left depends on how much we're willing to pay for it. You know, the more expensive it is, the more incentive there is to go and find more of it. And the you know the, the history of the oil industry to some extent is is technological innovation. There's an assumption in there, and all predictions contain assumptions that we'll need oil in the future. Maybe we won't. And then there's a sort of feedback loop in play. You know, if oil gets really expensive or undesirable, there is a huge economic societal incentive to go and find something else. And energy is one thing I'm just really not concerned about. You know, we are bathed in energy every day. We have a short-term storage problem with energy. I mean, I'm far more concerned about food and water, and particularly water going forward. And water, you've either got it or you haven't. It's quite difficult to sort of substitute an alternative. There, are, there is only a certain amount of water on the planet. Like yeah, somewhere. but even then, even there, it's just, you know, it's like paper bags. We, we started charging 5p per paper bag, and all of a sudden plastic our behavior, bag. yeah, plastic bag, our behavior changes. Um, you could change the water problem with pricing, with societal shifts in terms of attitudes, behaviour, regulation, um, you know, and we're wasteful. You know, 70%, I think, of, of global water use gets sprayed on fields willy-nilly. You know, why don't we try precision agriculture is an idea where we start watering individual plants, not entire fields. You know, we start getting clever with how we use it. So I'm ultimately quite relaxed about that as well. Things that Trump is making America great again, and you hear a lot, is the march of technology is... You know, out of control, uh, people yearning for the good old days. Were there ever any good old days? I don't think there ever were. I mean, the, I mean the interesting thing about make America great again is it's, it's backward looking. It's again is the key word there. And I think there is a bit of a battle going on now between going backwards and going forwards. You know, Silicon Valley is all for going forwards, and you've got other sort of demographics, other regions that, that want to go backwards. Because, I mean, it's your point, you know, were there ever? It's perceived safety in the, in the past. 
you know, there's, there's two massive things going on potentially at the moment. One is, is climate change, the other is aging populations. And aging populations have a tendency to retreat into history. You know, nostalgia is a very potent force for people over 65. Um, so that comes into play as well. And again, we're being very singular in terms of looking at technology and extrapolating forward. You've got to over, overlay things like, like demographics over technology. And there's all sorts of scenarios in terms of, of where things could play out. I mean, the other thing that, that I, I find quite amusing about the likes of AI and robotics is people seem to talk about it as though it's some sort of independent force. You know, we are the ones inventing and deploying this stuff. If it's making us feel uncomfortable, then we should do something about it. You know, the, the future is something that's created from what you and I decide to do today and tomorrow. It's not, I mean, a lot, okay, some of it. Except we have for Scaramanga no or Ozymandias in his cave up in Greenland, who's done, you know, much yeah, mean, working on, you know. Bit, <laughs> you know bit, bits of it are rogue. Bits humans. of it are out of control, and but, but we are hugely powerful, both individually and especially collectively. And if we don't like the direction of things, then it, it's incumbent upon us to change them. What would be the three, you may have already mentioned them, and you have to skirt back over them, the three things that you do feel we're not paying attention to that we really should be? Are you, are you referring to just trends or horsemen of the apocalypse? Uh, no, you as a person. What do you, uh, like, you, you studied all this stuff and you go, oh shit. Okay. I, I, they I can think, be flippant if you want. But I think the biggest problem this century is loneliness. Right. Which I've been, well, I've been talking about for a while. It's sort of slightly coming onto the agenda now. Um, you know, on the one hand, we're connected like never before, but we're, it, it's superficial. And, you know, we're living alone. Um, we don't need other people like we're used to. And I think people at some sort of deep level of, of feeling, you know, ultimately quite, quite lonely. Um, I think another issue that, that is getting some airplay, but not enough, is sleep. Big, big issue, not just for physical health, but mental health. I mean, I'm particularly interested in sleep because it's, it's so, necessary for the generation of ideas it's it, you know when we're asleep we make sense of the day's data we start cross-fertilizing today's data and generating insights and ideas the third thing i'm very concerned about at the moment is income wealth opportunity polarization the world is becoming a less fair place i mean we have been here before it's possibly arguably not as bad as it has been in the past but it's still pretty bad and i'm not sure that's sustainable i think at some point society snaps if you have that level of inequality snaps with pitchforks and I don't know maybe maybe I mean and then other stuff I mean I've been talking about I've, I've sort of given up talking about screens and the internet and social media as, as sort of addictive and disruptive forces in a negative sense because everyone now is starting to talk about that although you kind of wonder where everyone was 10 years ago I mean I wrote a book 10 years ago about the serious negative downsides of social media in particular but just screens in general and, and smartphones with their hugely addictive nature and, it, and then so all of a sudden so everyone seems to have woken up to this and it's it's amazing how it's a bit like inventing things you your timing can stink if, if you're too soon with saying something nobody will give you any attention you know, even if you've got your timing right and you're saying something that is blatantly obviously true it's quite possible that nobody will listen because you're not wearing the right kind of suit. You haven't been to the right kind of institution. You're not the right age. You know, if, if some guy, you know, sitting outside the tube on his uppers is holding a big sign saying that the end of the world is nigh, we, we no attention whatsoever. But if George Soros says it, we all start paying attention. It's, I mean, there's there an article on, going back to AI, um, Frey and Osborne at Oxford University about the effects of AI on unemployment. And there were some statistics which, from memory, 47% of US jobs 
we're under threat of, of automation over the next 20 years. In the UK, they were wildly optimistic, saying, oh, sorry, optimistic saying it was only 36%. And everyone sort of believed that because it says Oxford. And actually, if you dig into that study, it's monstrously naive. It's stupid on so many levels. I mean, it's very binary. Either a job survives or it won't. And there are yeah. some things that, like, you know, well, according to them, there are no watchmakers or watch repairers in the future. And you kind of will think, well, why? And I actually did ask them, and they didn't respond. Why, why would you say that? Are you assuming everyone's got a clock on their phone? That, that shows no understanding of psychology and why people wear watches, which has got nothing to do with telling the time. And they, I think they've got surgeons as being sort of job safe, when actually the, they are potentially under threat according to some people I know and, and stuff I've seen. So it's, it's all, yeah, you know, it's completely autonomous or semi-autonomous When, when have we ever, as a species, I mean, this may be a question that you can just blow me out of the world, because I, I just can't think of many off the top of my head, where we as a human species on this planet have identified a problem that is a big threat to us. And aside from, oh, okay. th- aside, yeah, yeah, yeah. aside from things like uh, vaccinations and stuff like that, vaccination process, which, are, which I, I accept are huge, but, you know, we've had one of the continents of our planet underwater, well, literally not underwater, under sun, you know, underwater in terms of food, in terms of poverty, in terms of disease, for all of my life. And yes, we have reduced the numbers. And yes, well done now, maybe instead of 4 billion people living under the, you know, under $2 a day, they're living on, you know, two ninety or whatever. But when have, when have we ever really galvanized? We got a man on the moon. Oh, I think this, uh, the obvious thing is nuclear weapons, right. where until very recently we had that completely under control. It's something we invented and decided that we wouldn't use them. Chemical and biological weapons until very, very recently, and we're talking years, not even decades, were completely under control. Um, I think we are beginning to galvanize around the issue of antibiotic resistance, which is another of those big sort of threats. And I thought you were going to say, when, you know, when were we ever optimistic? And my answer was going to be, in the, I think, in the 60s. And, and, you know, the 60s, technology was universally seen as a force for good, which maybe some people still see it like that. You know, and you had Star Trek as this sort of optimistic science fiction. And, and now all science fiction seems to be dystopic. Um, I mean, race and civil rights were all over the shop. And there was, that is true. That is America true. America was burning in the 60s. I mean, the, the funny thing is, though, if you look at, okay, you know, I think, was it Obama said, you know, when, when, there's never been a better yeah, time to be alive. Yeah. You look at all of the, the metrics that really matter. You look at human yeah, exactly. lifespans. You look at women in, in education and work. You look at infant mortality, extreme poverty, death from, from serious crime and war, um, access to clean water, um, it, you name it. There's no question now is, is the golden age. Stephen and, Pinker's theory. Is you know, what, what do you want, 2018 or, 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 1918? Yeah. No, no contest. You know, Spanish flu raging post-World War One. But somehow, we don't see that. Everyone is very anxious. They're worried about this, that, and the other. I'm not sure, but I think it comes down to two things. First of all, we're exposed to too much information. A lot of it highly dubious. So we're, we're being put on the back foot the whole time. You know, go back 100 years, very little information reached our conscious minds. And when it did, it had probably been discussed quite a bit. These days, it's just like, there's no filter. It just hits us 24-7. The other issue, I think, is the perception of too much change going on. And this is an old idea from a book called Future Shop from early 70s by Alvin and Heidi Toffler. The central thesis was the perception of too much change over too short a period of time would, would create some sort of mental instability at an individual and institutional level. And I think that's what we're living through right now. And we, we are grappling to find ways of controlling the information flow and controlling the perception that there's too much going on. If you, if you talk to 
a lot of business people right now. There's a very senior business people. Their issue seems to be, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to pay attention to. There's all this stuff going on that people tell me is going to be disruptive. What do I focus on? And to some extent, is I think the answer is what you've always focused on. I mean, I was in Australia recently talking to a bank about platform banking and AI, and my wife has a bank account with them, and I know full well that they can't even answer spell her name right, answer their phone, stop blocking her credit card, yeah. or the worst one is they send her other people's bank statements. Now, forget about AI yeah. banking. Just, just fix yeah. the real simple yeah. things. And, and also, the other thing that's not changing, which we forget, is us. Basic human needs have not changed since we crawled out of a cave, and we're not properly addressing that stuff. So, you know, the other stuff's icing on the cake, and yeah, you know, once you've got the, other, the basics right, you can start fiddling around with that, but most people haven't even got the basics. What about uh, from a more light-hearted approach? Quite a lot of your work that you send out, you also balance it with... Mm funny or interesting ironic visions well, of the future what are, what are some of the sort of I think the first thing is you can't take this stuff too seriously because <laughs> a, anyone that anyone well no really you should you shouldn't really yeah. um, anyone that takes this whole thing seriously is delusional and any anyone that's, that stands up and says that something will or won't happen is kidding themselves you or the pair of you we fundamentally don't know what's going to happen so a, a sort of degree of tongue in cheekness is, is definitely required and I think also you know if, if it's sort of a bit grim out there a bit of humor doesn't doesn't hurt and actually yeah. humor is 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 a r- incredibly human trait and yeah you can get machines to invent and tell jokes but they're not, not fundamentally not very no. funny yeah. so humor's always good and and i quite like um i mean i'm a real fan of black mirror and that's where you know yeah. you take takes take now and just spin it very very slightly and put a sort of black edge on it i, I yeah. think putting a sort of humorous edge on it it just sort of lightens it a little bit and, and I don't know um, I think it probably comes back to the fact you just can't take it too seriously I mean all these sort of maps I do there's always a joke somewhere yeah, yeah, just to yeah. keep people on their toes quite often people don't see them and take things way too seriously so yeah I, I think and also if you I don't know about the future but certainly if you start looking at creativity and innovation having a bit of a laugh having fun is integral to the entire process so maybe that's true with the future as well one of my friends said recently why are we, why are we not laughing so much there's no joy at work. I mean, I can do about work yeah. like, without naming any names. But you know, when you and I were, we used to work in, in moderately large places. There was a bit of tomfoolery, a bit of banter. Um, now, we, occasionally it went a little bit too far, but it was it was well intentioned, well natured, and, and to some extent joyous. And now, you know, you can't say anything. You can't touch anyone on the knee. You can't call anyone a twat. You can't. You yeah. can't do the practical jokes. And, we, and there was a thing at somewhere I worked recently where, actually, I probably shouldn't say this, but I've started now, haven't I? Where, you know, we need to, we need more fun in the workplace. And I, I was, the worst thing I, I was, I was suggesting, um, ways to inject fun. And, um, one of the, one of the ways of injecting fun was, was to have a sort of, have a drinks. And the first thing that happens, I mean, I'm assuming somebody did a sort of risk assessment on the drinks somewhere along the line that I wasn't aware of. But the second, the second thing that happened was they wanted an outcome. And it was like, well, the outcome is we have a drink, we have a laugh. Yeah. Um, and, and people were seriously suggesting that there's almost somebody with a clipboard walking around, writing down what they're yeah. saying for the output. So yeah. it's, a bit like, it's a bit like having a dinner party yeah. with some great mates where somebody's transcribing it. It's like, Jesus, you know? Um, I mean, two of the worrying things are this, this breakdown of, of you know, and, you know there's, there's obviously a very serious side to tranny toilets and identity politics right. and personal pronouns and Me Too 
and not belittling it, but there needs to still be the court jester poking fun at this. There is nothing. What's that, what's that oh, formula? You know, tragedy plus time equals comedy. Yeah. And to my mind, there is nothing you can't make a joke about, yeah. as long as you maybe leave it a little while. I mean, I still think probably the Holocaust is it's going a little bit too far. Um, especially if you're not Jewish, but um, you know, tranny toilets are definitely worth a joke. Um, and the problem we have at the moment, I was talking to somebody recently about sort of big things that nobody's talking about. We've got this sort of extreme liberalism. You know, this is back to the sort of narcissism. I can do whatever I like thing, which is hitting up against this sort of rather sort of new puritanical streak, Calvinist thing that's going on. So you've you've got people even within the Labour Party in Britain that that are saying you know everything's allowed. And, or, or something is completely out of order and then doing the exact opposite themselves. And to some extent, this will get us in trouble, to some extent you see that with the Me Too movement. I mean, there's on one level, I mean, it's a good thing on one level, but on the other level, it's sort of completely contradictory and hypocritical with, with some, of, you know, some of the stuff that's going on. I mean, everyone thinks we're, we're seriously free here. You know, you cannot sit down in London on Waterloo Bridge and start selling socks. You know, there's no, there is no freedom there. There's freedom to do other things. And it, but it's, it's hitting against some other stuff. So it's probably, to some extent, the least free we've ever been. Well, I mean, I think the people who I know who are, let's just say, the, the most, I don't know what the word to use is, the most liberal feminists, maybe. I mean, they're, not, they're not the Nazi feminists, but the people who are just going, like, there is an issue with women, 10 in a thousand rape cases getting convictions. In, no, there's, there's there is an issue issues, with, sure. with, with sexual harassment in the workplace. There is an issue with glass ceilings for women. There is an issue with women in Ireland, my country, being treated like. It's, it's quite classist in a sense. I mean, you can you can you can stand up on the red carpet at Hollywood with a big banner saying "Me Too," with your nipples hanging out your dress, yeah. and that's perfectly acceptable because that's that's me being me, and that's empowerment. Yeah. Yet, if you if you're sort of you know walking around a Formula One grid in your bikini with a bit of yeah. cleavage showing, that's demeaning to women. It's yeah. like, well, hang on a minute. Yeah. I'm not quite sure I understand that. We probably no. shouldn't go there. We'll get lynched. But you know, I, I well, the, no, the, the other point about it is is that point about all getting lynched. It's also stifling conversation. People are afraid to have the conversation. Oh, it's the no platform thing at university. I'm not having a conversation. I'm not like in any way a misogynist. Yeah. But and I'll, well, listen to him saying, yeah, I'm not. You know, and it's like, oh, well, only a true misogynist. That's a real and you get into a problem. Web, and I'm like going, no, we need to sit down. Like, we need to have discussions about Islam. Oh no, it, it, Islam yeah. is a very peaceful it's, religion. Yeah, okay, but some of it, some of it is actually causing major the problems. No, the no platform thing at universities is deeply troubling. There, there seems to be things now. That you're just not allowed to say, yeah. or, or not even believe, yeah. um, in the privacy of your own home. Identity, like personal pronouns, now 34 and counting, including elf, by the way. I, I identify as it's an elf. Weird. And I, I, I want, you know, and if you don't call me elf, then I am offended. You can be in Canada. Put in, well, I mean, that probably is the future. Crime. I mean, everyone thinks it's quite, it's quite binary. It's not this, it's that. Um, and actually, you know, things like films like Robot and Frank and Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner, to some extent, are these sort of interesting mixes of of things that are contradictory and things. Some things work, some things don't, and that's probably quite accurate actually in terms of what we're what we're getting. You mentioned loneliness earlier. What about happiness? Is happiness just bullshit? <sighs> I think it's largely bullshit. I mean, it, it, you never hear about it anymore, which is quite interesting. Yeah, um, it's like one of those. It was like lactose intolerance. Yeah, it's um, oh, that's another subject. All these things yeah. we're we're allergic to, whatever. But they go away, um, and then another one comes. Yeah, along. Ex exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, happiness. It doesn't make any sense to some extent. You cannot be... It's, it, it's being sold like a sort of can of beans on a supermarket shelf as though you can just do the right thing or series of things and be happy permanently. You know, happiness is not a permanent state. Happiness only makes sense 
in the context of sadness, to my mind. Yeah. You, you know, the, 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 the yin and yang on that one. Yeah. But the idea you can go on a sort of course and be happy is, is just a little bollocks. There's something in it, and I actually preferred the word, I preferred joy and joyous to happy and happiness. Yeah. But that's not, I shouldn't demean it too much, because I think a lot of people out there are not happy at all, ever. Yeah. And it's not a bad aspiration, but it's a, it's a slightly naive, idealistic, simplistic one. It's so vague, and it's not a panacea to depression, and it's not the answer to bipolarity and all this kind of mental illness that's out there. But it, it, you know, the idea that we would take away sadness from the world, but if we lost sadness, we we wouldn't be able to be. I, I think know, it's, a, it's a it's a asymmetry. Oh, by the way, just in terms of those sort of three horsemen or whatever, the mental illness is. You know, I think we're possibly on the verge of a mental illness epidemic, particularly with with younger generations, due to the sort of anxiety and pressures built up in the system. That's another one to sort of add. I mean, it was a little while ago in HR circles, you heard a lot about sort of purpose and meaning. Again, it was banded around a bit like happiness, which I'm not happy about. But there is something in purpose. You know, you could say, I mean, they talked in, in New York recently, and this French woman said, ah, oh, Mr. Watson, what about love? Um, when I, mi- I missed the, uh, the comeback on that should have been, you mean generally or between us? <laughs> um, but careful love, careful, people. careful. Yeah, yeah. Love, even love, which I think, you know, Oh, McCart- Lennon and McCartney weren't far wrong on that. But if you have purpose, love is a byproduct. You know, you, I think that the key thing we need to find as a species, particularly in the light of all of these disruptive technologies, is some kind of purpose. And probably purpose has something to do with thinking of yourself less and others more. Helping other people gives you a purpose to a very large extent. I was talking to you about this kindness idea, which I've been living off. I filled the God-shaped hole in my heart a few years ago with putting the word kindness in. And I am a bit cheeky, and I do take the piss out of people, and I sometimes offend. One of my ex-bosses said to me, I only open my mouth to change feet. But I have been living on this thing of having kindness at the center. Was I as kind as I could have been today? Will I be as kind as I could be tomorrow? And it's very simple, and it's very powerful, you know, because it actually includes do unto others. It also allows you to decide, you know when you're being unkind. You know you know if you're saying the wrong thing to the wrong people at the wrong time or the wrong person. Yeah. You don't always get that right. I mean, kindness could quite literally change the world. I mean, I, I once on one of my maps, I had cascades of rage, which means that if somebody doesn't let you into traffic or gives you the finger in the yeah. you know, and you, you then sort of pass on that rage to somebody else and it cascades throughout the entire city you know, that yeah. day. And actually just letting somebody in when they're trying to get into traffic or just giving, you know, and a lot of it's to do with common decency. You know, you, you stand on the tube and it's just amazing how many people don't stand up for some 85-year-old. Yeah. I mean, if they're on crutches, they'll probably get a seat. But if they're just yeah. straight 85, they probably won't. Again, it's, it's back to that thing of thinking of others. And we should be thinking of others more because we're more connected to others. But actually, it's doing the absolute opposite. The yeah. connectivity is, is, is putting the focus more on us and our needs. And we're, I mean, you, you know, you see people on public transport and they've, they've got the headphones on, they're staring at the screens. They're not even aware there's other people in the carriage. And I think if, yeah, if we always find it being really quite kind to each other, I mean, I think you're allowed to be nasty as well. And I think if somebody crosses a line, I wouldn't be kind to them. But I think you'd get a very, very long way. And it's probably ridiculously naive in the context of what's going on in the world. But um, I mean, do you think we'll ever? Do you think there will be a World War Three coming soon to a cinema? I'm, world? I'm slightly expect, quite slightly surprised there hasn't been one already. I mean, I, I grew up with the whole duck and cover under the table in primary yeah, school. That really helped. Um, I think total war is is a possibility. I don't think it's a very. It's, I don't think it's very probable. I'd, I'd hope we were sensible enough to avoid it. Although one of my favourite films of all time is Doctor Strangelove, and there's a couple of characters from 
Doctor Strange Lab in offices of power at the moment. Yes. In fact, probably more than two. Um, I'm more worried about things like biological terrorism, pandemics, collapse of antibiotic efficacy, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. But it's yeah, it's you know, it's it's a possibility. How does one become a futurist? Uh, well, in my case, you just get asked to write a book about the future, and it sort of comes with the territory. Um, there are courses where you can do future studies, horizon scanning, which is another way of calling it the same thing. Um, generally, you just stand up and call yourself one, and it works perfectly <laughs> fine. It, it, ha- it helps enormously to write books, and you've got to sort of say things. And the, the, the great trick, in a general sense, if you want to be a tabloid-friendly futurist, is you, you make all these ridiculous pronouncements, but you don't attach any detail or timing to them. And you just sort of sit back and wait, essentially. And if after sort of 10 or 20 years nothing's happened, you just kind of like do it again in a different country. London to be covered in marmalade yeah. in 2028. But um, the, you know, the funny thing, I mean, I was on that, when I saw you in Dublin, and I was flying back on, on Aer Lingus, and I had about an hour, and I was, I was trying to, th- was caused by what you said, which is, you know, you must be in a great position having done this for after 14 years. And I thought, am I? What have, okay, what have I learnt? And I've learnt that most people are wrong about an awful lot of things given enough time. My batting average is, is actually not bad. Even when I'm right, probably nobody will listen. But the, the only thing of any significance or worth I've learned, I think, is that most of the time I'm not talking about the future. I mean, it's a bit like science fiction. Science fiction has nothing to do with the future. Science fiction is a way of voicing contemporary anxieties and concerns 95% of the time. And 95% of the time, the word future is sort of subterfuge. It's an excuse for allowing people to think quite deeply about what they're doing right now. I mean, if you, if you sit in an office at British Telecom, you stare out the window for two weeks without moving, you will get either fired or some sort of warning. Whereas if you say, oh, I'm thinking about the future, it's perfectly allowable. <laughs> oh, yes, he's thinking about the future. Leave him alone. So it's a great excuse to, to help people to think. And ultimately, I think that's probably what I'm for. That's what I do is I am, I'm, I'm there to try and facilitate some kind of deep, rigorous, sustained reflective thinking about what people are up to and where they might be going. And what do you think the future of futurism is? Um, I, I think it's over. I mean, I think like a lot of things, it's cycles and it's fashion. I think it's coming to the end of a cycle. There's too many people doing it. It's, too, it's becoming incredibly difficult to do because of the speed of change and volatility. People are getting a bit fed up with it on all kinds of levels. So I'm not quite sure what's next. I mean, um, you might get historians being back in vogue rather amusingly, or maybe it just sort of shifts back to kind of innovation or something. I think it's, it's a bit like innovation. I think it's, it's an overused term. It's used quite badly in some instances. So, I, yeah, I, I've got a feeling, my, my sort of futurist prediction on futurists is that it's coming to an end um, of a period, although, and it should probably lay low for sort of a, a decade or two, and then it'll probably make a magnificent comeback. Well, we might get you to make a magnificent comeback on a pint with Shawnee B in the future to discuss what we discuss. Thank, Thank you very much, Richard Watson, for being Cheers. on the pint with Shawnee B. There's plenty of links to Richard, his books, etc., in the blurb. Go buy them. Um, and I thank you for joining us. We're going to try and see if we can reincarnate the Monty Python cheese shop sketch. Goodbye, everyone. See you, Richard. <laughs>